You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning, Asbury. Happy Friday. Another sunny Friday. It's always sunny in Wilmore. Hey, first and foremost, I want to welcome some guests that we have here on our campus today. Uh, Several guests who are visiting, guests uh, from very different places, but also from Cincinnati Christian University. I want to say you are welcome. We are glad that you are here. Thank you for being here. Hey, I know it's Friday. Uh, but just, just suffer a little philosophy uh, from me this morning. There was a famous philosopher who asked this question, why did an all-perfect, all-sufficient God have to create a world? Why did an all-sufficient God have to create a world, have to create a people to relate to? Now, I think he had his own response, but I think a better theological response is, it's not why did God have to create, but in creating, in producing, what does that tell us about God? It tells us He's creative. It tells us that God is productive. It tells us that God relates. It tells us that God loves. He is oriented by love. So to create and to produce is an overflow of God's nature. And to love and to relate is an overflow of His love. God doesn't simply love, God is love. Chris West said that love by its own communion seeks to expand itself, right? So listen to this great quote by John Mueller in his book, Redeeming Economics. He says, Jesus once noted as an astute empirical observation, not as divine revelation, that since the days of Noah and Lot, people have been doing and presumably will continue to do for as long as there are humans on earth, four kinds of things. He gave these examples, planting and building, buying and selling, marrying and being given in marriage and eating and drinking. In other words, we human beings produce, exchange, give or distribute, and use or consume our human and non-human goods. These are God-reflecting capacities that exist in you and I. And they can be utilized in the marketplace as a fulfillment of how God made us, a benefit to others, and a glory unto God. And we're seeing this right here on our campus. Who has listened to Smokestack? Yeah, Yeah, it's amazing. Fortro, my man Roshane. Thank you. Into a closeness with Sharice, if you're if you see the art gallery, we have so many different examples of this that are occurring right now on our campus. These God-reflecting capacities that are being utilized and can be utilized within a marketplace. And today, today, you're going to hear a tremendous example of this from our speaker. Emily Moon Kaliga. Emily works in the marketing industry and has launched a 501c3 nonprofit social entrepreneurship company that empowers at-risk women in Africa, India, and the U.S. by providing education and meaningful work in the clothing industry. 
She applies her experience in various aspects of marketing, including social media, search engine optimization, website design, et cetera, to the Global Impact Company by Grace Foundation. She says this, I think that brilliance and beauty are 100% equally distributed across the world. I love that. But because not everyone has access to participate in the global marketplace, she says, they aren't able to flourish into what and who they want to be. We want to open that marketplace and empower women to be their own entrepreneurs. You and I reflect God's image, and we create, and we produce, and we love. We orient ourselves to something. We aim ourselves to something, and we relate. And one of the healthy expressions of this can be in the marketplace, and I'm excited to hear from Emily this morning in this very issue. Let's give her our full attention. Thank you. Hi, everybody. My name is Emily Kaliga, and I'm so excited to be with you here today. I love being back at Asbury. Asbury has been a huge part of my story, as well as by Grace's story, so I just wanted to thank you all for having me. I want to get started today with a verse. Early in the morning, as he was returning to the city, and this is talking about Jesus, he was hungry. Seeing a lone fig tree by the road, he went up to it and found nothing on it except leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. At once the fig tree withered. Now, I've read this verse many times, and it's actually in multiple Gospels, so I knew it was important, but when I came across this verse, it seemed so unlike Jesus. Jesus is so full of compassion and so full of mercy, and so this verse just didn't make any sense to me. And I found that anytime you come across a verse in the Bible that seems un-Jesus, there's something much more deeper there. And so when I looked into it, I found that leaves are a sign that a tree is in season. And when a tree is in season, it has fruit. And so when Jesus drew closer to this tree, he saw that this tree had all leaves and no fruit. And this was a sign and a metaphor for the religious leaders of the day, the hustle and bustle in the temple courts and the long prayers. And what this is telling us is how much God loves authenticity. And he loves it when his people are authentic with their stories. And we are not just putting on a show or showing all of our leaves, but we're really displaying the fruit because God really cares about that fruit. And so today I'm going to be really honest with my story. It includes a lot of failure, but I feel like, and I really do believe that God has a lot of encouragement for us today. So I'm going to start off with an overview of By Grace and what we did, and then kind of talk about where we are today, and just kind of share a couple of key lessons that I've learned. We started by Grace. I co-founded this um, with one of my friends, Kelsey Carlstead, and we founded it on the idea that enterprise and not aid is the solution to conquering global poverty. You are stuck in a hole in a village with all your skills and all your talents, and that's just unfortunately the way it is. The people here are not stupid. They're just disconnected from global trade. So we wanted to change that, and the solution that we developed was to educate, employ, empower the women through that employment, and then hopefully that would elevate the community. 
So the way that we did this was one, to sponsor a women's education to learn a trade skill, specifically sewing, two, employ the women to make products, and then three, sell these goods to the American consumer via an online store. Here is some of our apprentices that we sponsored in Ghana, and then the products that we made on the right. And I just have a really quick video of one of the, it's a very short story from one of the women that we were able to sponsor. also worked with women in India. Um, we worked through partners, Daughters of Hope, as well as Lions and Forest. So we worked through existing operations that were in India since we hadn't been there before. And so we provided employment and support and developed these products, which were on the right. And then finally, we worked on the Rosebud Reservation, which is located in South Dakota. Um, and it's really like stepping into a third world culture within the US. And so we worked out of this place called Her House, which was a women's shelter. Um, and we worked with the women and employed them to do these beautiful beaded works. And I'll never forget, you can see on that slide, we had a brochure that we made for By Grace. And one of the models was shown wearing these earrings. And Tammy, one of the women that we worked with, she was flipping through the brochure and she saw that image right there on the right at the very top. And she started to get tears in her eyes. And we asked her, you know, is everything okay? And she said, I've never seen my work displayed like this. And in that moment, we saw that dignity was being restored to Tammy, where she was previously told that she was a charity case and only worthy of receiving donations. Now she had a seat at the table. Now she had something valuable to bring, and that was restoring dignity in her. So where we started and where we are today is completely different. Um, the logistics and the challenges of what we set out to accomplish were really, really difficult. And it was a lot of highs and lows. And essentially, now we have really stopped our retail operations. Um, I can, there was a lot of difficulties and a lot of reasons that led us up to that decision. And now we essentially just sponsor the training costs of the women. Um, we also had our website hacked into earlier this year, and with that, it was kind of that one point where we had to kind of step back and reevaluate how we would move forward. So the first thing that I want to talk about today is dealing with the feeling of failure. And this is something that I'm very well acquainted with. Um, I, one story I want to tell is that I remember one day, I worked a full-time job, and I still do, on top of founding by Grace. And I remember there was one day I was driving home from work, and it w I was very discouraged. Um, I was full of tears, and I was talking to my dad, and I said, you know, I wish I had never gone for it. I wish I had never tried. Um, I wish I just lived a very quiet life and never made any waves. And he said, I had tears in my eyes, and he said, let me ask you one question. 
And I said, yeah. And my dad said to me, did it increase your faith? And I thought of all the times that I had seen God move in my life during this time and through by grace, and immediately I said yes. And he said to me, then it was worth it. And that reframed the definition of failure to me, Um, not just for business, but also in my personal life. And the one question, did it increase your faith? And if the answer is yes, then it was worth it. And it changed my perspective on failure. I realized that I was taking a heavenly pursuit engaging it up against worldly success metrics. And that is going to feel like failure every single time. Reggie McNeil says you can have all the, all the good numbers but the wrong scorecard. And so I found out that I really needed to clearly define what success looks like for me. And, you know, we sang this morning, both of our songs talk about your love never fails. And I remember this picture. This was taken in a slum in Bangalore in a country where if they find out that you're a Christian organization, they will deport you immediately. And this is the good news, is that Jesus never fails. That's good news. And he knows what it's like to fail. Because when Jesus walked the earth, everybody expected Jesus to be the greatest military and political leader of all time. That's what the world wanted from him. But instead, he died like a disgraced criminal on the cross. And that's because he threw away the world's scorecard, and he said, I'm going after a heavenly pursuit. There's this concept in Ghana. It's called finiku kiri. And it's a bully term. It, it translates not directly into the U.S. I think our closest translation is great job. But instead of great job, the Ghanaians say, you tried. Um, So there was a missionary. Uh, So it'd be like if my dad, after this, you know, somebody comes up to me, you really tried. You you tried. (laughs) Uh, But there was a missionary who got up. She was asked to sing a song in front of the church. So they got up to the front of the church. They sang their song. And then somebody walked up to them and said, Wow, you tried. And at first, as Americans, we think, oh my gosh, we did, the worst, we did the worst job ever. But in Ghana, that is the highest compliment that you can get. You tried. It's, and even my sister's in Ghana right now with IJM. She said she turned in a report to her Ghanaian supervisor. And her supervisor says, you tried. And it's really something she has to get used to. But I love this concept because... The culture is valuing the effort and not the end result. And maybe that's what Jesus means in the parable of the talents. Well done, good and faithful servant. Veniku kitty, you tried. Let God multiply your talents and understand that that's maybe not something that you will fully see in this lifetime. But our responsibility is to try. And I love in Mark when the woman is pouring out the oil on Jesus' feet. And that is the only thing that he will take with him when he is hanging on the cross is the scent of this oil. And she's preparing him, preparing him for uh, his burial. And they're saying, why did you purchase that perfume that could have gone to the poor? And Jesus says, no, 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 leave her alone. She did what she could. And I love that verse, and I hope that is so encouraging, because that is all our God asks of us. We do what we can, and we try, 
And the rest, the result, we leave up to God. Let him work through that. Accepting grace in an achievement world, and this is so hard because the culture that we live in is constantly defining us by our achievements, and I felt that pressure so strongly. I still do feel that pressure. So I want to tell a story about this lady right here. I was meeting with all of the apprentices that we had sponsored in Ghana. I was getting to know them and their stories, and the last question that I ended with was, what does grace mean to you? And this woman right here, she, when I asked her this question, she didn't have an answer for me, and she stared up at the sky, and I could see the leaves in that tree. They were kind of rustling just in the silence, and so I thought, you know, maybe I asked this wrong. Maybe I said something wrong, so I said to the translator, did I say something wrong? And he said to me something that I'll never forget. He said, she is a Muslim. She doesn't understand grace. And in that moment, everything shifted for me because I thought, wow, we have a God that gives us grace. And at the end of my time with them, I said, you know, I have asked you, what does grace mean to you? Now I want to tell you what grace means to me. It means that there was a debt that I could not pay. And so Jesus paid that for me. And so when you see this sign by grace, I want you to think about that and the sacrifice that he made. And here's the good news. Grace is undeserved favor. It means that because of Jesus' sacrifice, he sits at the right hand of God, and he has the ear of God, and he intercedes on our behalf. It has nothing to do with what we do or don't do. It has everything to do with Jesus. And the Israelites believed in Jesus' time that when you were in the temple, your prayers were more effective. And maybe this is something that we kind of think too, that when we're in church, God hears us more. Or when we do good things, God hears us more. But the question I had to ask myself is, what am I doing that I think is earning God's favor? Because it's not. It's all because of Jesus' sacrifice. He doesn't, he just Um, has saved us and redeemed us. It has nothing to do with what we have done. I love this verse. His pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor his delight in the legs of the warrior. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. And I hope that just, it makes me just rest easy. I don't have to do anything or earn anything to have God's favor. His delight is in those who fear him and who put their hope in his unfailing love. The third thing I want to talk about, and I, I think this is something that I didn't hear, and I really do feel passionate about it. It's okay if you don't feel passionate about your job. There was a study that was recently released, and it said that 90% of Columbia Business School MBA students polled listed that pursuing their passion was important in their future jobs. But yet, a conflicting study showed that 20% of full-time U.S. workers are truly passionate about their work. That's a big disconnect. There was another study that showed It's called A Millennial Therapist Explains Why Young People Hate Their Jobs and What to Do About It. And I only put this on here because I went through this. And so I hope that this encourages you. So Gallup Research says 
that one of the reasons is unrealistically high expectations of what a day-to-day -day work life would be like, career advancement in months versus years, or a distorted reality where everyone else seems to have an amazing life. And I think that that was so true. I think that sometimes we get caught up in the expectation expectation of what something will be like, and um, we don't realize what the reality will be like. And I think this guy might be onto something. He's been writing in this ledger probably longer than most of us have been alive. And I think that this is really a picture of passion. Eugene Peterson says, that passion is long obedience in the same direction. And so I want to look at this verse a little bit. Whatever you do, work at it with your whole being for the Lord and not for men because you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as your reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And I think that the thing about passion is, is that we start to care about what we're invested in. And so maybe God tells us to give our heart into something because then our passion will catch up to that. He tells us that the great commandment is to love God and love people. And the good news is, is as long as you're doing that, you're fulfilling your calling. And that's something that starts today. It's not something that happens when we, in four years, when we finally get into that job. But it's something that starts today. And I discovered that I'm not passionate about marketing. I'm not passionate about advertising. I'm not even passionate about starting my own business. But what I am passionate about is seeing potential in a person or a group and bringing that message and that vision to life. And I can do that, through that by grace. I can also do that through my full-time job. But that was a discovery process that took a long time. So if when you graduate and you're in your full-time job and one or two years or five years down the road, there's this disillusionment of, you know, man, I don't really feel like that that was what I was wanting. Treat it as a discovery process. Don't think that the system has failed you or that you've done the right, wrong things. But treat it as a discovery process and see where God is calling you to be faithful where you are or where he might be calling you to maybe take a, a step out. But don't be discouraged if that is the case. Remember that God calls us to work at it with our whole being and to love God and love people. Rest is a gift from God, and I love these guys. I mean, that is so awesome. We found them in Ghana, and they just are the ultimate chill, and that is so awesome. I love that when we're talking about work, but I also think that, especially in this entrepreneurship society, or entrepreneurship culture, we talk a lot about work, but we forget to rest. And I heard just last night uh, a stat that over the last 50 years, Americans' work hours have increased 50%, but our rest time has decreased 30%. And so I think there's a problem with that. And I experienced this firsthand too. I, I felt that God was telling me last year that his word for me that year was to rest. And... I love this quote, Sabbath is not just a day of the week, it's a way of being. It's impossible to love God and love people when you're stressed out, worn out, and burnt out. And so God gives us the Sabbath as a gift. When 
the Israelites were led out of Egypt, God instituted the Sabbath as part of the as part of the Mosaic law, as a declaration that the Israelites were no longer slaves. When they were in Egypt, they were working seven days a week. So when God redeems them as a nation and brings them out, he says, I'm giving you the gift of the Sabbath as a reminder that you are under the kingdom of God. And I felt God saying to me that we can only steward possessions and talents that have first been yielded to God. Talents and possessions that haven't been yielded to God become idols. And so God gives us tools in order to yield our possessions and talents to God so that we can steward them well. So how does he do that? So practically, our possessions and our money, he gives us tithing. That helps us yield it to God. And our work and our talents, he gives us the Sabbath. That yields the work and the talents to God so that it doesn't become an idol. And this is really hard, especially if you're an entrepreneur. Work is almost an addiction. And so I think it, it's something that is very countercultural. Work is a vice that has somehow become a virtue. And it's almost a badge of honor how often you have worked. So I want to just encourage you to take a step back and realize that rest is pleasing to God and it's a good thing. Something that's life-giving. It doesn't mean hole up in your room and read your Bible all day long. That's not what God wants from you. He wants to do something that refreshes your soul. So whether that's taking a nap or eating a good meal with friends or reading, the book, reading a good book or going on a long walk, something that refreshes your soul and reminds you that God loves you and cares for you and just kind of puts into perspective that um, God is here and that we are not slaves, but God has redeemed us. So to summarize what I've talked about today, the first one is giving your failure to God. If you feel like you have failed, let him redefine that for you. Jesus knows exactly how that feels. Let him take that. The second one is trading achievements and accepting grace. Because of Jesus, and only because of Jesus, we're able to let our trophies fall at his feet because he never fails. Three is don't be disillusioned with the world's idea of being passionate at work. Ask God to give you the strength to be faithful where you've been placed. And true passion comes with long obedience. And four, rest is a way of stewarding our work so that it doesn't become an idol. We declare that we are no longer slaves when we rest. So I want to end my time today talking about a story when I was in India. I was meeting with a woman, and she told me that she used to be Hindu, but she had come to Christ. And I didn't know much about Hinduism. All I knew was the shrines and all of the temples that we saw across the skyline of the city. And so I asked her, after believing in the Hindu religion for so long, what made you become a Christian? And she said to me, the Hindu gods, they don't love you. No one loves you like our God loves you. 
She said, the Hindu gods, they are slave masters. There are so many of them. And you give everything that you have, you give them all your money, and you place it at the shrine at the temple, and you pray to them, and all you are greeted with is cold, dark silence. But God's love is so vast, and he is always pursuing you. No one loves like our God loves. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you for the way that you love us. God, we thank you that you are not a slave master. God, that you, your love for us is so vast and so deep. God, you do not greet us with cold, dark silence when we pray to you, but you are welcoming us with open arms. You are always there waiting because of the way that you love us. God, you are running down the road to greet us and to sweep us up and remind us of our value, remind us of your sacrifice, and remind us of how much you love us. So God, I just pray over every person here, I thank you that you have a calling and a purpose for us. I pray that you would set our eyes on things above, and I pray that you would continually remind us that we are seeking after you, to love you, to love your people, God. I thank you that on this earth, you invite us to be part of heavenly pursuits. I pray that we would not be distracted by the world, but that we would keep your, our eyes on Jesus and what he has done for us and the way that he loved us and the sacrifice for us. God, I thank you that you call us to participate in the marketplace, and you have a calling for us that we can step into today, Father. I thank you for the way that you are always, that our, your ear is to us now, God, because of Jesus. That we, just as we are, just as we are, you love us. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Gary, would you stand up?